Hi, my name is Scott Kerland, and my best friend Lils Martin hates musicals. I'm Lils Martin, and my friend and acquaintance Scott Kerland loves musicals. Wait, what? But I don't like I don't like begrudging for it or anything. Wait, I don't know. I said you were my best friend, and you just called me a friend and acquaintance. Yeah. I was working really, really hard on creating this podcast for you where I show you great movie musicals and bad movie musicals because I love you, but you want to be a dick. We were supposed to record this promo for Hell is a Musical, and what are we doing right now? Sounds like we're recording the promo right now. Hell is a Musical on the Zero Science Network. Be there. With all of the great actors in the film Sneakers, who is the best? I think we all know. It's Timothy Busfield. <laughs> That's right. We watch Sneakers, so you know what that means. It's in the basket. The writer's bagel basket. They started the trace. Where's this, please? It's my dime. I'll ask the questions. Who are you? Well, let's say my name is Mr. Abbott. True. They made the second leg. Mr. Abbott. Are you interested in SeaTech astronomy? I'm interested in all kinds of astronomy. Tear me apart, Lisa! Snap out of it! You owe me 15 grand, pal. I love you! That's all I needed to hear. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I'm Scott Kerland, and we continue Garden Variety with another Brown. We don't have Danielle this week. We have Christopher Brown, her husband. Are you sure about any of what you just said? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you said a lot of things. Are you sure everything was a fact? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Just saying. Who who can you trust? Um, you and your wife? What <laughs> what is happening? Is it because we watched Sneakers, the 1992 classic film starring everyone in the world, especially Timothy Busfield? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Chris, why don't you give us the the blockbuster role for this one? So, an aging computer hacker and his elite team uh, of, of heist, maester, heist makers are sort of strong-armed into performing a task for the government that they don't want to do. But is it really the government? And is this really just the beginning of their problems? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I'm not giving anyone compliments anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, fair enough. So, so if you watched uh, Nothing But Trouble a lot as a kid, this is the film I watched a ton of. Like, and it's interesting to me too because this was like it, it seems like this was Aykroyd's next big outing after Nothing But Trouble, and I wonder when the productions like if the productions took place on top of each other or close enough to each other where. Maybe Aykroyd wasn't completely in Hollywood jail. <laughs> Nothing but trouble was 1990, right? 91. Okay, this was 92. So, 
he filmed probably this in 91 and he filmed all of nothing but trouble in 90 so probably a year apart because like this was back in the days when they would they would spend like a hundred days filming a movie it's like today we can film it in like 30 days yeah yeah but i I just mean like if if he was filming this prior to the release of nothing but trouble are you uh, saying that he he had signed on (laughs) And then Phil Aldenson's like, this was a terrible idea. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> is that a, is that a say, penis nose? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, too, it would have been a shame if Aykroyd wasn't cast for this because he is actually the only person I could have believed in that role. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think about it. Like, all of the people who could have done everyone else's part because... You know why River Phoenix... So so part of the reason why I picked this movie for you... Normally I have Chris pick the movies, but I'm like, I think you need to do this. Is because you are an all-star in three of the actors in this film. Okay, I mean, we definitely have River Phoenix, thanks to uh, Mrs. Backer and uh, her weird music room in sixth grade. Yes. <clears throat> Danny Axe. <laughs> because of nothing but trouble. Oh, I'm saying it, it took me way too long to figure out who you're talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Axe? Yeah, yeah, Danny Axe. Of course him. And uh, who else? I'm trying to think of who else is in this because there's there's a ton of people. Bob Redford. There's a lot of... Oh, you did right, the sting. Right, right. Just from The Sting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I wasn't did... even making that connection. I was thinking of something shittier. I was trying to think of like what shit we have covered. And I'm like, who who, who the hell was in Moulin Rouge? Yeah. <laughs> good old eddie jones yeah (laughs) marla hooch's dad is in this film i always got him confused with brian doyle murray oh yeah 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 i could see that yeah i was like is that brian doyle no that's marla hooch's dad what a hitter but (laughs) part of the reason why a lot of these people signed on is because they had just got done doing more serious like crushing emotionally films and they're like yeah let's let's do a paycheck movie so, uh, can you guess at least two of two of the three actors who are like, I need to do something lighthearted? Well, <clears throat> I don't know if he was necessarily coming in off of something that wasn't lighthearted, but I know a big selling point for uh, Stevie Tobbs is that it was lighthearted because he was uh, he was one of the most vocal cast members saying like, you have this cast and a really fun script. This is the most fun I've ever had shooting a movie in my life. Yeah, he. I wasn't even talking about Stevie Tobbs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm guessing Sidney Poitier because he, you know, is is a very accomplished actor. And I actually, I didn't think he was slumming it in this, but this felt a little out of his wheelhouse. Uh, I think that he was raising the bar because he had just got done directing Ghost Dad. <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't realize he directed that. That's yeah. one I saw in the theaters. <laughs> yeah, and that's all we're going to be saying about Ghost Dad. <laughs> Why is it, is it because you don't like talking about romps about dead dads? <laughs> what a no. delightful farce. <laughs> we, we don't even have to, talk, have to talk about the elephant in the room. We can just talk about the premise of that film and it falls apart very easily. Would, would you say that that's a movie that I would sit in the theater going, nice. <laughs> cool. I mean, there's definitely a scene early on that you'd be into. <laughs> so... <clears throat> River Phoenix, because he had just got done doing My Own Private Idaho, and he was like emotionally mm-hmm. drained. And then uh, 
Mary McDonald had just done both uh, Dances with Wolves and Passion Fish back to back. Yeah, I could Two see that. Two very heavy films. And Strathairn did Passion Fish. Oh, so. okay. So we got a couple Passion Fish um, grads coming on to this. Yeah, and I, I think with Redford, our good buddy, good old Bob Redford. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love when like someone has like a very um, full name, like Robert Redford, and like someone will just give them an, a nickname, like... I, who was it? Um, someone was. Uh, oh, uh, I think it was Jeff Goldblum was talking about working with Richard Attenborough on Jurassic Park, and he's like, "Yeah, good old Dicky Attenborough." And I was like, <laughs> "Who the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and I, I do that. I do that with Robert Smith from The Cure. I always call him uh, Uncle Bob or Crazy Bobby. Yeah, so so with Robert Redford, he had just got done doing A River Runs Through It. So they had all just got done doing really heavy movies. Yeah. So Yeah, so so the, yeah, that this is definitely the kind of movie that you would go to after doing a bunch of serious things because not that there weren't like some mildly emotional parts to this, but it's it's mostly a fun movie. It's mostly yeah. just it's 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 an it's an action movie that is decidedly a comedy as well. Yeah, and like with this movie you you keep forgetting like that it even exists like i have a lot of friends of mine who f- they're like oh yeah sneakers is one of my favorite movies i'm like oh yeah sneakers is great <laughs> like this film is a lot of fun it is a very fun movie and i think if i had to put one complaint on it and uh this is this is i'm nitpicking here i think it's too long i think that there's probably about 20 minutes that could be cut out of this because it's it's a 2 hour plus movie and I, I think that this kind of movie is best suited at 90 to 100 minutes. There's a reason why it's so long. Because he literally... So Phil Alden Robinson... It, for people who don't know who Phil Alden Robinson is, he's the guy who made Field of Dreams, and that's all you need to know. Um, <laughs> that's about it. Uh, so he added like at least another 30 to 40 minutes to the movie um, of profanity and exposition be- to avoid getting a PG because he didn't want to be making a family film. So that's why at one point Sidney Poitier says, motherfucker. <laughs> like he punches the guy and says, take that, you motherfucker. And we're like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. After, yeah, after the guy said like the racist thing to him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, th- I think that was a warranted uh, hard MF. Yes. But that that scene was shot like afterwards. Same thing with the scene with Lee Garlington, basically just ripping open her shirt and exposing herself to Donald Loge. Yeah, who I've got to say, Donald Loge. It took me for uh, forever to realize that that's who that was, because at first I was like, "Oh shit, it's one of those kooky characters that Crispin Glover was doing in the early '90s," <laughs> and I was fully convinced it was Glover until I realized, like, "Oh no, shit, that's that's my boy Donald." Who uh, we've we've talked offline about this, but yeah. I've got a weird familiarity with him, and I don't know what it's from. And Scott's tried to help me figure this out, but it, it's nothing. I, I I don't know what it is. I have a fictitious memory that he was on like a he was the leading man in a sitcom in the nineties. And uh, and for anyone it, who's about to like tweet at us and say grounded for life, no, it's I've not. Al- no, it's not grounded for life. It's it's nothing. I've looked at his IMDb extensively. 
because I want to solve the mystery of this, but for some reason I'm just hyper aware of this man and the fact it, that he exists. And it's not the FX classic one season TV show Terriers, where no, it's not Terriers, where he plays a hard boiled cop. And the funny thing is, I actually watched some of Vikings, and uh, it, I didn't recognize him in that. He's on Vikings. He was on some of Vikings. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I only saw How? the first two His seasons. His voice is so distinct and nasally in like Midwestern that like you can't have him with all of these British and like Norwegian actors. No, it works because he kind of like he he filled out a little bit physically and he's one of those people that just has like a mountain of facial hair. So he just he fits the role physically. So all they have to do is, I don't know, dub his voice with the guy who did Schwarzenegger's voice from Hercules in New York. <laughs> Also, the one thing I realized with this movie, everyone who is a lead character, I'm not counting Tobbs or Timothy Busfield, mm -hmm. or Sweeney Todd actor Lynn Carew, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like the, the people who are on the poster all have Oscar nominations. This film is filled with like either there's three people who won Oscars, and then there are three like everyone else was nominated for at least one to two Oscars. It's insane. Yeah, this is a very good cast. And there were multiple times watching it as different scenes were progressing where you could tell that they were having a lot of fun with each other. The scene in particular, any scenes with uh, Poitier and Aykroyd interacting with one another, I really, really enjoyed. Like the one <laughs> when um, Aykroyd was talking to Poitier's wife at one point and Poitier walks over, he's like, oh, no, no, do not listen to a word this man says. He is deranged. <laughs> he takes her away. Yeah, what he's talking about <clears throat> is uh, how in um, Area 51, in 1951, Eisenhower knew that the aliens landed and they paid them <laughs> off in cow lips or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> And then later on, he's just sitting in the van with his feet up reading a magazine and Poitiers in the background. And Ackroyd's just like, oh, cattle mutilations are up. And he's not even finished saying the sentence. And Poitiers just shoots him a look and he's like, no. <laughs> <coughs> also, it's insane that that they got not just Poitiers, but they also have James Earl Jones. They also have so Ben. They have a, King yeah, they have a really sneaky James Earl Jones because I thought that was his voice early on. But I was like. No, he's not in like the top billing, and you'd figure Jones would get at least like a co-starring, and nothing. Just all of a sudden, Jones appears in the last five minutes of the movie. Well, the the biggest mistake with this movie is I feel that they shouldn't have <coughs> advertised um, Ben Kingsley's character at all. They shouldn't have advertised that Ben Kingsley was in this movie because a role like that in like the '90s was supposed to be like a surprise. This is who the villain is, like. Yeah. Why, why announce? And I know why they did it, because originally the person who was supposed to play that role, can you guess? Was supposed to play that role? Oh, um, Paul Newman. Yeah, Paul Newman was supposed yeah. to. And he's like, I don't play bad guys. I don't play bad guys. Boo. And, <laughs> and he's like, what if, what if we switch roles? And Redford's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the last time they ever spoke. Newman is dead now. <laughs> Redford. Oh, that was the other thing that I, I realized watching this movie. After 1992, with the exception of maybe like gray sideburns, Redford looks the same. Yeah. Like, 
like yeah he had he had fully i was watching him at that point thinking like so <clears throat> when he was younger uh, brad pitt got a lot of comparisons to him uh how he used to look in like the the 60s and 70s and whatnot yeah and i was i was looking at him i was looking at uh redford during this movie and i'm like i think he uh i think he looks better for his age than pitt does and the, he still looks the same right it's insane he, like he's he's almost got like Steve Martin syndrome where like after 1985 Steve Martin looks the same that he does now. Yeah, at age at age 30 he looks 60 and at age 90 he looks 60. Yeah. <laughs> like how how old was Redford when he made this? Like in his 40s? Was he he had to have been a little bit older than that because he he started in the late 60s, correct? Yeah. Yeah, with Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. Wait, was that him? Or was he Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? He was in one and Newman was in the other, but yeah, he started in the sixties. We will find an answer for an answer for this very quickly. What's funny is uh, I, I made a typo. <laughs> After these messages. How I started talking uh, reflected the typo that I made. So he was born in thirty six. Okay. All right. So what he would have been fifty 55. 30s. Um, yeah, about. So, but so now 36 divided by. So he's 100 now. Uh, I'm bad at math. Uh, no, but but like Redford now looks like Redford in the 80s. Like I, I originally said in this film, I'm looking at posters for the movie Legal Eagles. And mm-hmm. and he looks exactly the way he does now. Yeah, I'm looking at a poster of him from uh, or a poster, a picture of him from 2012 on his Wikipedia page. And you know, he's he's got a little bit more wrinkles and whatnot, but he's I, I would not say that he is a man that's uh, approaching his 80s. He also, I mean, <laughs> with with Redford, you you can never tell that 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 he's old. That's the thing. I mean, because I thought he looked old back in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid when I was a kid. Like, yeah, maybe it's because I saw sneakers at around the same time. But so the premise in this movie is that um, I I kind of feel that Ant Man stole this. So so some <laughs> yeah, I, I right? didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. But yeah, it's it's pretty on the money. Yeah, yeah. So they're all some form of criminal kind of like questionable past who get hired by these corporations to try and break their systems. Yeah, except in Ant-Man, they're really shitty at it. And in this, yeah. they're very competent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but is it really hard to, you know, screw over Bodie Elfman? <laughs> you know, the son of... it is. Isn't he the son of Danny Elfman, or he's the brother? Of I, da- I don't know what the uh, relationship is there. I, I don't know much about Danny Elfman, other than that one of my teachers in college um, used to manage the band Squeeze, and okay. they did a tour, and Oingo Boingo opened. So at one point in a class, he was talking about Danny Elfman for some reason. I think we we're talking about like film sync or licensing film music for films or something like that. And he mentioned something about Danny Elfman, and then he just kind of stared off into the distance. He's like, an annoying little prick. And then he just started talking again about like the topic on hand. <laughs> so <laughs> then, that's all then, I know. Then he started touching his wedding ring, and we think there something happened there. <laughs> 
Well, all, all I know for sure is that Oingo Boingo opened for Squeeze, and uh, at the end of the tour, this teacher was not a fan of Danny Elfman. <laughs> <laughs> and he, was, he kept having this guy named Tim come over, and Tim, you know, had this weird, unmanageable hair and kept talking about scissors for hands, and I was like, these guys are <laughs> fucked. This, this teacher was great, too, because he looked like John Cleese, except uh, I'm assuming he's significantly less of an asshole than the actual John Cleese. <laughs> And so he used to tell us stories about how, like, when on the road, like, in a tour bus all day and everything, they'd get so bored that by the time they got to, like, a road stop in Texas, like, they, a bunch of English dudes, pasty English dudes, would get out and go into this truck stop all wearing, like, propeller beanies just to see what would happen. <laughs> like, they're the little rascals? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so... So in this movie itself, like they're hired by the NSA, but it's not the real NSA, I guess. And they're hired to get this special microchip from Donald Logue and it can crack the entire, you know, any government base. But they point out it's actually anywhere in America. Yeah, so it basically, if you call up uh, on your on your handy little modem, if you dial up any any sort of um, anything in America, basically, whether it's as lowly as a little BBS or you know the White House, you can gain entry to it. Right. Which, like, thinking about it today, that's kind of scary because, like, you know, that kind of happened in real life. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, we've we've definitely had some moments that are frighteningly close to that, but I, yes. I, I don't know if I would go so far as to call this movie prophetic as, as much as this was just an eventuality and uh, a screenwriter happened to realize that. <laughs> it is, damn it. This is the most prophetic movie out there. This. Hey, can I tell you about the... I was about oh, to say, this in Big Mama's house. <laughs> can I tell you about the moment in this movie that bothered me the most on an extremely visceral level? Was it the dance scene between Mary McDonald, River Phoenix, and David Strathairn? No, that I thought was um, exquisite. It was beautiful. Uh, it, it it made me feel something. No, the uh, the part I'm talking about is actually at the very beginning of the movie, and it's not really played for anything. It just kind of happens when I believe it was Kingsley takes a container of Chinese food and dumps it out into his hand. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, my God, I hope that's a chicken finger or like a Rangoon or something. And he takes the container away to reveal my worst nightmare and that it's loose noodles and sauce in his hand. <laughs> also, do you think Zack Snyder was watching this movie? and He's like, I'm going to open my movie in four, three, just like they did in Sneakers. <laughs> Phil Aldenson, Robin, Phil Alden Robinson, you are a genius. Now I just need to insert a scene of someone holding noodles with their bare hands with lots of sauce. I need the sauce on their hand as well. well <laughs> and no visible way to clean themselves. I I didn't even notice that it was noodles. Like Yes, it's noodles. You just see like a bunch of fucking floppy noodles fall out of that <laughs> container onto his hand. <laughs> I thought it was an empty empty container like saying that they had been there all night and that's why uh not Robert Redford. Like they did find a guy who looked surprisingly like a young Robert Redford, but uh had oh, no, to go. That was him. No, it wasn't. That was totally him. It wasn't. 
Like literally, it I'm, says I'm, I'm IMDBing right now. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't him because it says college age bishop Gary Hirschberger. Oh, sh- yeah, shit, you're right, Gary Hirsch. Oh, weird. He doesn't look like him now. I'll tell you that. He looks. He looks, he looks more like Gary like, Busey. Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, he's like a softer Gary Busey, like an easier Gary Busey. <laughs> like if Gary Busey didn't fall off the motorcycle. Oh dear. Like, <laughs> too soon. Eh, I don't think it's ever too soon. <laughs> when I heard that story that Gary Busey was in a motorcycle accident, and I was like, oh my God, was he okay? Well, no, because it left him almost deaf. I'm like, well, was he wearing a helmet? And I, this was while I was watching him give an interview about this, and he's like, yeah, I wasn't wearing a helmet. I was like, you idiot. And I'm terrible to my son, Gar- uh, Jake. Interesting. <laughs> Poor Jake. The uh, the fella who played the young version of uh, Cosmo, he has so aged into a beautiful, beautiful hybrid of Ted Cruz and Richard Patrick from Filter. Oh God! <laughs> so that's if they had awful. a beautiful baby boy, that's that's who you would have there. That's awful. That's like the meanest thing you could say about someone. Oh God. I mean, yeah, Cruz yeah. has a pretty generic bird-like look. If you're a bird-like person, I think you're going to have some similarities there. He he kind of looks like Michael Stuhlberg. Not familiar with his work. From um, uh, did you see Men in Black Three? He was also in a serious. Man. <laughs> I did not. He he was in a serious man. No. He was in um, uh, uh Guillermo del Toro's uh, Shape of Water. I did see that. He w- he was the the scientist who was also KGB. I don't remember. I I saw it in the theater and I saw like a free preview of it before it came out, and uh, that was the only time I saw it. The big takeaway was like I I went to my wife's Christmas office Christmas party afterwards, and uh, I was like, Jesus Christ, the woman masturbates in the first five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Have some class. You wait twenty five. <laughs> You know the 10-minute rule as well as we do. <laughs> it's three-act structure. Act one, you don't have the climax until 15 to 20 minutes into the movie. <laughs> I feel like that's a bad vaudeville joke. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that I did really appreciate about this, and it goes into a little bit of like actual history, is I really enjoyed uh, Whistler being a blind phone freak. And yeah. that was a really cool thing because uh, I don't know, if, are you familiar at all with the history of phone freaking? No. There's a there's a really fun book on it called uh, Exploding the Dial that uh, I highly recommend that talks about a lot of this. But a lot of the original phone freakers, the people who learned how to basically manipulate the system in different ways by either um, disconnecting and reconnecting their phone very quickly or pressing numbers in certain sequences or anything like that, oh, the vast majority of these original people were all blind. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was just sort of, um, I don't know if there's been any studies as to why, but that's basically the the case. There was probably about half a dozen to to a dozen blind kids who really figured out how to work the system first. Well, they hinted at that he is like almost like Daredevil. He has like these almost like Matt Murdock superpowers. Well, yeah. The one thing I will say is I, I really liked that aspect of uh, Strathairn's character. I didn't like that he somehow forgot that he was playing a blind character in several scenes. So he would like turn to look at someone and his eyes would dart around and focus on them. And it's like, that's, that's not a thing that blind people do. Yeah. 
and and they tried to course correct that at the end with um with what's his name with uh James Earl Jones where he's talking he's asking for yes. world peace and he's talking to nothing and then James Earl Jones starts talking and he just moves towards his voice to to face him. it it was it was a gross overcompensation it's like well two and a half hours later yeah exactly where's the continuity where's the script supervisor there Oh, they're too busy thinking up anagrams for uh, the exposition Scrabble scene. So the, they make San Francisco look either so nice or, or so terrible in this film. Or Well, first off, I got to say, this movie suddenly took place in San Francisco. I feel like it didn't always take place in San Francisco, or at least if it did, they didn't care to let you know. I noticed that it took place in San Francisco when he was first doing when um when Martin was first doing the drop with uh with good old Busfield and yeah. Busfield offered him a cappuccino like that scene I was like oh shit they're under the Bay Bridge yeah this is in fucking San Francisco so that was the first point where I'm like this movie has been going on for like 25 minutes and this is the first time I've actually established where it's taking place I think it was because at this time um Phil Alden Robinson wanted to make a Bond film and he was trying to show that he could do it. And he's like, look, I, I can totally do what they did in A View to a Kill. And they're like, you picked the wrong Bond film. I mean, there are there are more wrong Bond films. Let's leave it at that. Well, this was, <laughs> yes, in, I, this was in the 90s. Like, what was he supposed the, the to The wounds do? were still fresh. Yeah, like, what was he supposed to do? License to Kill or Living Daylights? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I, I made a note, actually, once the San Francisco seal is broken, we're constantly reminded that the movie takes place there because in one scene, you didn't know think- where at the beginning he starts making a sourdough loaf at the famous, you know, Bay Bridge Bakery. Yeah, no? <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, I, I once that seal is broken, we're constantly reminded of it because there's a scene where he is beaten up and dropped off. It's one of a few scenes like that where Martin's beaten up and dropped off. I noticed that that's a recurrent thing uh, with Robert Redford in movies. Like, in <laughs> gets his ass kicked. Yeah, if Tom Cruise is always running and Cusack is always in the rain, Redford is always getting the shit beaten out of him. Yeah, I, I like it. It's funny. But there, yeah, there's one scene where he's dropped off after having the shit beaten out of him. And as he stands up, he's on one of those streets um, on the hill that's directly facing Alcatraz. So you can see Alcatraz directly from the city. And then they show him from another angle. And I'm pretty sure he's at a different location at this point because he's at the top of Lombard Street, which he starts to walk down like a fucking madman. And it's like, dude, go a block the other direction and walk straight down the street. Don't walk Lombard. That's why people like Bagel Basket. We have these San Francisco references. <laughs> San Francisco treats, you might say. Yes. No, well, but Lombard, if, if you're not familiar, Lombard is the most crooked street in the world, and it's yes. because of the grade of the hill. So they couldn't have a straight top-to-bottom drive down. You have to basically go in this sort of like snake shape all the way down, and you have to drive at like 10 miles an hour to be able to do it. And the only not, people who do it now are tourists. N- not to get on a tangent of not this movie but like that's one problem i have with uh disney pixar's inside out is the family just drives down lombard street like they're they're in the you know uh indy 500 they're just like yeah "Mm." i know it's a cartoon Uh, but safety first damn it yeah safety first and also there would be about 
18 cars in line ahead of them waiting to go down that fucking street. Uh, one of the great things, um, I promise I'll stop talking about Lombard Street in San Francisco in a second. Uh, I mean, but there's so there. many great things about San Francisco <laughs> that we could talk about. The sourdough bread, the cappuccinos. I mean, you have you have the trolley cars. You have the Tanner family house. Yeah. <laughs> you have uh, Street Fashions USA. Yeah. Oh, Tommy Wiseau's. Yes. Company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is still there. Um, yeah, it is it's, with it, a giant it, poster of the room. Yeah, and a giant pair of jeans projecting out over the street. Yep. It's interesting because uh, when you walk by it, it looks like it's just filled with trash. <laughs> like it's obviously not open to the public, but like if you look, uh, especially into the upstairs windows, it just looks like it's like junk storage. It's it's insane. But yeah, the Lombard Street thing I was going to get at, I feel so bad for the people who live on that street. Like, granted, you know, location, 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 know where you're buying your house, all that stuff. But it got to the point where uh, when I drove down it the last time I was there, like six or seven years ago, the residents would basically just take a lawn chair, open up their garage door, sit in the lawn chair inside their garage and just sit there like smoking cigarette after cigarette, just watching people drive down slowly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean... In this film, I just feel like him walking down that street, he would just be like, after he got the shit beaten out of him, he would just like kind of fall down the street. <laughs> or as he walks down, it's like Sideshow Bob with the rakes. <laughs> <laughs> so Before we okay. get too far off of the, um, the anagrams, I just wanted to ask quick, did you have a favorite anagram? Because I had one. Um, no... Not really. Mine was, I, a, mine was Cootie's rat semen. <laughs> I just love how they look at each other and they're like, no. Well, but they took, I, the, they took the time to put it together, but then they're like, oh, no, it couldn't be that. <laughs> <laughs> Too many secrets? <laughs> I also love when he's on the phone with, with, uh, with James Earl Jones. He's like, are you a fan of scientific astronomy? Astrology? I'm a fan of all astrology. <laughs> He's telling the truth <laughs> because they were somehow giving him a polygraph over the phone. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so, like, there's so many famous people in this movie and they're in every scene, but I don't remember a lot of what they do, including good old Bobby Redford. So, it's a code breaker? No. It's the code breaker. No more secrets. Honey, you and Melissa get your thing. Well, the way that the characters are structured in this is very similar to the way that the Oceans movies would be later on. Like, granted, Clooney and Pitt were a bit more involved in the overall picture of things, but... Or... You have the... Or how they did it in The Sting. Well, yeah. I mean, I I was just using a more modern reference, but yeah. Yeah, but that's why... why That's why Phil Alden Robinson casted Redford is because of the sting. Right. But basically you have your team that are doing their specific thing. So you might see a scene with Redford in it and he might have nothing to do because he's not the focus of the scene. If the focus is going to be on like Ackroyd and, uh, and what's his name? Andy. (laughs) Was that, uh, was that Carl Phoenix? Carl, Carl, Carl. Yeah. Andy, Carl, you know, close enough. Well, okay. So the crazy thing with, with, Carl with River Phoenix character is he has trouble like meeting women and talking to women and getting dates. I'm like, you're fucking River Phoenix. Like, you're gorgeous. 
Yeah, he's he's a very attractive individual. It made me think of, um, I think it was like the very first season of Family Guy where they all got replaced by reality show characters that were actually actors. Yeah. And the one who was playing Meg was like obviously very attractive and kept complaining like, oh, I'm never going to be as I'm never going to be as beautiful as I am or something like that. And then just goes yeah. running away. <laughs> yeah. It's like this is exactly what's happening. It's like, oh, OK. It, it, yeah. it was clear that this role was written for like, I don't want to say this because he just died. But jo- like Dust- Josh Gad. I was saying Dustin Diamond. I was thinking like Dustin Diamond or like. Oh, I thought they were going to give it to a nine year old Josh Gad. <laughs> Hey guys, um, no, no, like like David Moscow or or you know, someone with curly hair. Yeah, Dustin Diamonds. Like Patrick Dempsey, they they would put Patrick Dempsey in his glasses from Can't Buy Me Love, or like mm-hmm. or Ralph Macchio, who was probably thirty at this point. That <laughs> that always wowed me when I found out, like in the first Karate Kid movie, like Ralph Macchio was like almost 30 years old playing playing a 18 year old or 17 year old boy actually you know who they probably could have got and probably would have been perfect for it let me see what he looks like in 91 hold on scott wanger star of full uh, house nah he nah he's he's slimmed down a bit by then uh i was gonna say jerry o'connell oh yeah so this would have been this would have been around the time of um my secret identity in the first couple of seasons of my secret identity he is kind of uh Chubby. Okay, so he didn't he didn't lose the weight right away because I I know that this is no, a long time didn't, after Ross stand by me. Yeah, he didn't get really jacked until ninety six. Sliders. Like, well, that's ninety six. Yeah, that's that's what it was. Yeah. We're, well, we're I was thinking thing. of Jerry Maguire, where like they're like, "Who is this guy?" And it's like, "It's the kid from Stand by Me," and like he's jacked and ripped. <laughs> but. Or they could have. Oh, uh, Will Whedon. If you're gonna pick someone from, from Stand by Me, who could have clearly pulled this role off, Will Whedon had just left Star Trek: The Next Generation at this point. Like, mm-hmm. and he was off for a career of not really doing anything, but somehow being known by everyone. He was so he was going to college with like the people he went to college with were so weird. It was like him and like, um. I think Will Forte, <laughs> like, like, oh, like, that's pe- odd, yeah, yeah, like people you'd be surprised <laughs> he'd be hanging out with, and he was just writing like stories. And at this point, he wasn't talking to River Phoenix because River Phoenix was on the downward spiral, unfortunately. Yeah, because I know that this role of Carl was offered to Keanu Reeves and um, Christian Slater and. River Phoenix is like, I'll do it. And they're like, okay. Yeah, just all like laughably attractive people to be like portraying this really um, like insecure like yeah. person. Yeah. And I, I love how the FBI agent at the end is like, you can ask for anything in the world and you just want my phone number. And he goes, yeah. And then she gives him her number and he does not write it down. You can have anything you want. And you're asking for my phone number? Yes. 273-9164. Area code 415. I'm Carl. I'm Mary. I'm going to be sick. Are we done here? Well, yeah, she says it really quickly, and he's just like, okay. But, I mean, I guess he's a computer hacker, so we're to believe that he's good with numbers or some bullshit. I don't know. 
Yeah. Also, apparently, they didn't give a 555 number. They gave a real number. They and did. Who, I noticed that. Yeah. And the, the person who lived there, I guess, according to the trivia, people kept calling the house after this movie came out, and they're like, stop calling me! <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they probably had, like, like a at least, like, a small claims <laughs> um, yeah, potential with that. Yeah, because, like, also, they... they aren't the people in the movie like this this is what i always laughed at with people who've watched movies in the 90s is that they assume that the phone numbers that they give out that are real numbers like oh like, it's that they, actress's number you mean yeah and they're like <laughs> yeah. hey hey is hot fbi agent lady there <laughs> that is her name that that's what she's credited as hot fbi agent lady person wait is she really no it's oh okay because FBI agent Carol or something like that. But okay, so going back to Donald Loge. Logue. Luke? Logue? Donald. <clears throat> yeah. Going back to Donald. <laughs> yeah. Blade actor Donald Logue. Um I I he just doesn't seem like the person who would be this character. Like it's the same River Phoenix thing. Like, oh, I just thought of who should have played River Phoenix's role. Steve Zahn. Who? That would be good. Yeah, Steve Zahn is perfect because he could have pulled off both acting the role and being an awkward, insecure. Because he he's he's a good looking guy, but he's not too good looking, and they could have like goofed him up. And this was a year before Reality Bites, so we know that he was acting at this point. Yeah, and it was well before his his masterwork that was Strange Wilderness, and. How can we forget that thing you do where he is phenomenal? He's great in it, uh, but it's not his starring vehicle, you know? I, I, I like, I like no. seeing him unhinged and out in the wild. <laughs> well, then how can we forget Saving Silverman? <laughs> yeah, true. true. Where he or plays a Neil a Diamond. More dramatic. Yeah, a Neil Diamond cover band. <laughs> yeah. yeah. His more uh, dramatic world and then perfect getaway. Is that what you were about to say? I, I was going to say Shattered Glass. Which is he a was... tour de force from Hayden Christensen. And Peter Sarsgaard. Yep, yeah, we got a Sarsgaard in there. And yep. uh, we got a Chloe Seventy in there. We, we got a whole cast in that movie. We have like a sneakers cast in that movie. It, uh, it well, just... key, yeah. I don't know if I would, I would ever put <laughs> Hayden Christensen into that sort of arena, but yeah, we've got, uh, we've got some people. Yeah, well, Hayden Christensen, of course, is the Mary McDonald because sci-fi. Yeah, I guess. Uh, she she can act better than he can. Yeah, she's been nominated for two Oscars. Yeah, and to my to my knowledge, he has not. Uh, I I thought he was gonna be for Attack of the Clones, but uh, I, think I thought he was gonna get nominated year. for a little film called Little Italy. Oh yeah, yeah, that movie is fantastic. Uh, primarily because when you say Little Italy, you automatically think New York, and not Toronto, Canada. This- and this movie takes its time letting you know that it is, in fact, Toronto, Canada. Also, that Hayden Christensen and Emma Roberts are apparently the same age. When he's, like, 40 <laughs> and she's, like, 26? Yes. <laughs> you know, when we were playing baseball together, when I was, like, 10 and you were 4? <laughs> so, yeah, getting back to the movie. Sorry for everyone who tuned in for Sneakers Cast. And <laughs> Okay, so... The the crazy thing is, the way Redford treats Mary McDonald in this film is kind of shitty. Like, 
you find out yeah. that uh, like there there's a little toxic masculinity going on there um because she's like i'm not getting back together with you and he's like i just need your help and then he says horrible things about her in front of her yeah no he's he's not a good person to her at all they they do not have a good relationship and the fact that she just kind of goes along with it is just like oh man i, and I it's feel hinted- bad for her because Clearly, he is not the only problem in her life if she's willing to run right back to him. It's hinted that they get back together, but at the same time, it's hinted that they don't. But like, I mean, this the, we we can talk quite a bit about the ending of this movie, and I'd, I'd like to talk quite about it, about the ending of this movie because, yeah, we can take a lot of things away from it, but there's a lot of things that uh, I, I think need to be discussed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the biggest fault with this film is Ben Kingsley. We don't know... Like, apparently we're to believe that prison made him crazy because the the whole thing, going back to the beginning to get to the end, is that he um, and Redford as kids in college were, were hacking and everything is kind of his fault that he blames Redford for because he cheated to... The whole thing is one of them had to go out and get pizza um, and he cheated when deciding who, and it was Redford, so Redford wasn't there when the police raided the building because they were illegally hacking into the government, giving yeah, to the... It, they were robbing yeah, thing. It, yeah, and you know what? They might have both gotten arrested had he not stood up beforehand and taken a container of Chinese food and dumped it into his hand to see if there was anything inside it. Yeah. Imagine if that was, like, what was he expecting? Was he expecting that to have anything in it? Was he expecting it to be, like, a quarter full so he could be like, oh, sweet, noodles, and then just, like, eat it out of his hand like a fucking monster? I Man, you're really on this noodle thing. It really bothered me. I'm sorry, but if you ever see someone do that with a thing of noodles in real life, get as much distance between you and them as humanly possible because they are not above eating another person. <laughs> um... Well, the thing that baffles me is the fact that he's looking directly into the container of noodles. He is. He's literally looking into the container of noodles right before he dumps it into his hand. So he knows how much is left. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I don't have any answers for it besides the fact that I'm I'm glad he was in jail. Uh, he deserved I think that it. A, it's a good place for him to be. And, and they uh, faked his death. <laughs> Yes, and his death was faked by the mafia, we're to believe. Yeah, and then we're to also to believe that he then stole from the mafia and and now runs a you know, evil organization like James Bond style that's posing as a toy manufacturer that somehow ends up still making toys to keep their ruse going. <laughs> Speaking of and, of and is and Oh, go ahead. Speaking of which, did you see what Hasbro released today, a video today to tease? Uh, yes, yeah, and I, uh, they're, they're not making toys for kids anymore, that's all. Yeah, it, it's basically an Optimus Prime that you can, you know, ask it to assemble, and using AI technology, it will turn into a Autobot. Like, this is how the singularity starts, people. Yeah, it the costs seven hundred dollars too. Does it? And they gave it yes. to Kevin Smith for free. Yeah, presumably, Snoogans. He's in Boston today. Yeah, for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, for uh, the movies pop up at House of Blues. Yeah, Snoogans. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, that, that that makes me think of. Uh, did, did you ever read the uh, Perry Bible Fellowship? No. It's a it's a great web comic, and there was one episode where you see someone like inside a car driving, and they're like, "Yeah, assemble!" And then you see it turn into like uh, like a transformer, and where the windows were, you just see like blood pouring out of it. Jesus, but but yeah. So th- this toy manufacturer that is you know Ben Kingsley's front is making a voice controlled robot. Like yes, yeah, the dog. Which which Stevie Tobbs talks to like it's a real dog, and S- Steve Steve Tobolowski is evil in this movie. Like he's he borders on like being a prick. To being a serial killer, to being a sociopath, like I thought he was actually pretty nice at first. No, I thought he was a dick. Because like, cause, like he, I thought he was awkward with Liz, but I, I didn't think he was actually being a dick, or at least, or at least he didn't mean to be a dick. I think he was just like an awkward dude. Yeah, but and then I, as soon as as soon as he started going through her personal belongings, then the story changed for me. Okay, so I I wanted to comment on that, like. All of my friends who are who are women, um, like they they would not leave their their purse unattended to use a phone or to go to the bathroom in a stranger's house that they just met. Like he finds out that she's not who she says she is because um, the Robo Dog, which I could talk about for days, <laughs> just that thing. Like, how lonely is Steve Tobolowski that he created a a robot dog to be a pet? Well, I can tell you how uh, lonely he is. He's going on computer dates, as they say frequently in the movie. Yes, um, but but like, you just met this guy. You will take your purse, especially if you're not who you say you are, you're not going to leave any identification available for him. Because, like, what if the dog didn't knock it over and he was just a creep and just yeah. decide, decides to go through her purse regardless? Once again, you're not Doris or Dora or whatever you said your fake name was. Don't have any access to your stuff. Yeah, uh, agreed. And the other thing that was insane, too, was that the dog knocked everything over, so he started putting things back in. But he, but he actually was talking to the dog. While we were talking to the dog, yeah. But he started looking at the things he was putting back in there, which is insane to me. Like, I've been married for over five years now. Cannot imagine ever just like going to my wife's purse and looking into it. Yeah. Like, that's that's yours. I'm not I'm not gonna fucking look in that. Like, if you ask me to get something, fine. But like, I'm not gonna just gonna like go into someone else's things and look through them. Like, that is so psychotic to me and that's where i think uh you, I, you might have me with tobs on this i think he might actually be a sociopath <laughs> <laughs> well, well not just that like how short he is when she's like so do you like to travel and he's like no next question <laughs> it's like have you ever seen that that interview it was one of jerry lewis's last interviews where he he does not want to be being interviewed because he doesn't like the guy who's interviewing mm-hmm. him he's like no why Next question. Like, <laughs> was it was it at all scary or intimidating to, to come back? Not at all. Not at all. And you enjoyed it. Would you do another movie? Absolutely. We're planning one now. For you to star in. Mm-hmm. 
Have, have you ever seen the second time I'm bringing them up today? But have you ever seen the video of uh, the Cure when, when they were walking the red carpet to get inducted into the Hall of Fame? the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And um, there's this woman uh, reporter who's just like, oh my God, I'm so excited. And oh my God, it's the cure. Hey, are you as excited as I am to get inducted? And she holds the microphone over to Robert Smith and he's like, mm, by the sounds of it, no. <laughs> That's the end of the clip. <laughs> Boys, don't cry. <laughs> no, but like Steve Toblowski, he he also gets really creepy. He's like, "Would you like to have breakfast with me?" And he then says, "Do you want to meet at the restaurant, or should I nudge you in the morning?" It's like, oh god. <laughs> yeah, but, I think that's what classified for romance in the early nineties. Yeah, and like, how would he wake her up by going "Bing"? <laughs> he would have bing. woken her up by after he went through her things. He probably would have violently shaken her and demanded that they go to his office. <laughs> Wow, thanks for sex last night. That was a doozy. <laughs> it's unfortunate for him that I will never be able to not associate him with that exact line. Like the the things I associate Steve Toblowski with is this, of course, Groundhog Day. And did you ever see Mister uh, Doctor Jekyll and Miss Hyde? No. Well, the cast is amazing because it's. Him, Tim Daly as Dr. Jekyll, Sean Young as Helen Hyde, and Javi Feierstein. Interesting. But it, it's the weirdest film I've ever seen in my life. Um, so, yeah. That, yeah. What a cast. <laughs> and you, you got Piven in there? Yeah, Piven's in there. Yeah, what the fuck? When did this Not, come out? 95 or 96? Yeah, 95. Yeah. 90s gave us some weird shit, like sneakers. But, like, I I love when, when he realizes Tobbs, Stevie Tobbs, realizes she's not who she is. He's like, hey, I want to take you somewhere in my car. And she should be like right away, no. Um. Yeah, she immediately, so the opposite of this happens later on, but she immediately assumes that he has, like, a gun or something and just, like, goes along with him without any questions. Now, uh, what I want to talk about as an opposite of that is at the end of the film, when the gang is uh, covered by actual government agents who have actual guns and are demanding to get the box from them, where do they get off acting like they're holding the cards? Not the government, but the gang, because they don't have weapons. There are several government agents with uh, one of them had like an Uzi. And they're all just, like, aiming these weapons at them. Where do they get off just, like, talking about how they have any sort of leverage in this situation? Well, I I mean, I have no idea because what's his, I, the one person who, who is scared is, is Whistler, who is Stratheran. He's hiding underneath a a, you know, radio table. And everyone else is like, hey... Dan Aykroyd, our mother. I love how Dan Aykroyd's character's name yeah, is mother. Yeah, mother. Yeah. Did I ever tell you why I got kicked out of the CIA? And he's like, because I have an anger problem. And like, this guy has a shotgun and he just lunges at him. Um, <laughs> Sidney Poitier, you have a family. He's the only one who has anything to lose. Like, anyone else, including Liz, could die and like, no one would, you know, I don't want well, to say Liz, no. 
Liz would lose her piano students. They they would miss her. Oh, Haley, Haley came in and I was like, that's such a weird choice. And she's like, what? She's just giving a kid a piano lesson. I'm like, that little girl is sitting on her lap. And she goes, no, she's sitting <laughs> next to her. And I'm like, no, she's, they showed it. I didn't she, notice that. The little girl is sitting on her lap playing oh. a sonata. <laughs> like That's so odd. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is weird. There's a there's a lot of people that were involved in the shoot that day that could have been like, maybe we don't do this this way. Maybe maybe she sits next to me. Maybe that's why on the second like reverse shot where he walks in, it looks like she's sitting next to her. That's but the, so creepy. It's weird. And it's like, oh, well, she can't reach the piano. How about you get a fucking phone book and you have her sit on it? Yeah, seriously, I... And the piano wouldn't be the part that would be a problem. It, she'd be able to reach the piano. She wouldn't be able to reach the pedals, which yeah. sitting on a lap is not going to help. Right. Like, what's-her-name would still need to be able to hit the pedals. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking it is. It's like <laughs> a wildly irresponsible parent having like their five-year-old drive while the parent works the pedals. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you drive it. I'm going to drink this beer. I'll work um, the pedals. I, I, I bring that up because uh, I I was in a relationship with a girl at one point who's who that happened to when she was a child. Is this is this the guitar girl? No, no. Okay. Uh, yeah, listen no, to our last episode of Shaun of the Dead to to get that story. Yeah. No, uh, this apparently like her dad used to. Uh, the, our town had a uh, parade every year on uh, Christmas Eve, and. Like, it went down, like, all the major streets in, in Saugus or whatever. And her dad took her down because they were, like, a side street off of a side street in his pickup truck. And they drove and, like, parked at the end of the street that intersected the major street to watch. And apparently, he was drinking Sambuca. <laughs> and what? <laughs> on the way back, he's just like, hey, how about you drive and I'll work the pedals? And uh, that's how they, quote, unquote, safely got home after this, <laughs> the Christmas Eve parade. Jesus Christ, that's dark. <laughs> that's messed up, man. Um, but but like getting to the end of the movie when our it it ends up being the end of the movie about forty five minutes in, into the movie, like halfway through the movie. The end of the movie starts in the the middle of the movie because that's when we find out Cosmo's still alive, um, and. How he's trying, he he wants to include Redford in on this, but at the same time, like he wants him to suffer for having to go to prison. Redford to suffer for for Kingsley going to prison, and it's like, okay, pick pick a lane and go with it, because he's like, Marty, you could have been in this with me, but no. Well, he 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 did offer him the chance to be in it with him, but. I mean, it, it, like, as, as soon as Redford even, like, took his time thinking about it, Kingsley changed his mind. It, it's like the guy who, who like, asks out a girl and in high school, and she takes a minute to think about it, and he's like, no, fuck you, and, like, just walks that's, away. Yes, that's exactly what happens, more or less. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I, he's like, Robert Redford, Bobby Redford, will you go to prom with me? And he's like, uh, fuck you, Robert Redford, your beautiful <laughs> skin. Face yeah, like it's a funny. baseball glove. <laughs> the um, it's funny because 
this movie is very much a liberal sort of like circle jerk in a lot of ways where it's talking about like taking money from the Republican Party and giving it to uh, various causes and what have you. And, you know, that's fine, whatever. But I, I like that uh, in his time in prison, Kingsley has gone like completely hard left to the point where he's intersecting with like libertarians at that point with like how much he wants to <laughs> fuck with the system. <laughs> well, OK, so so that's basically Kingsley in this movie is how he got cast in um, Iron Man 3. Literally, okay. that's what Shane yeah, Black I, said. I, yeah, I get that. God, it's good to see you. We were going to change the world, Marty. Remember? Did you ever get around to actually doing it? No, I guess not. Well, and and. It, it's like same twist and everything like then then like at the end of this movie you find out that that he's afraid of guns he doesn't like using guns and he won't shoot robert redford and then he starts shooting at robert redford he well he did say he intentionally shot to miss Where, when are we supposed to believe that he's a marksman I don't believe that in prison they they have shooting ranges where you can learn to become like Annie fucking Oakley. No, but at the same time, you like, I mean, if I point at you with a gun and shoot it, odds are better than not that I will hit you, especially if I'm only like 10 feet away like he was. Whereas if he moves to the left and shoots at an angle, like it'd have to ricochet or something in order to hit you. But if he actually did the Annie Oakley where he at the mirror and he's looking behind him. Yeah, he does like some trick shot. This is what they treat you in pri- what they teach you in prison. <laughs> but the crazy thing with with this entire movie is like how everyone is like ride or die, and they claim that it's for the money, but then they act like it's because they're all best friends. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think that it's one of those uh, the real money were the friends they made along the way sort of thing. Because yeah. At, at the beginning, they are all certainly in it for the money, except for Poitier, who uh, joins in on the job because he thinks the others will die if he doesn't do it. Yeah. It's like, if I'm not there to help you, you're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so one th- one question I have about the end, and this is when I was talking about the end earlier, um, like one of the biggest question mark that I had, and I think that this is something where... Uh, if they wanted to add more time to the movie, I think this would have been a better use of it than dropping in some uh, some F-bombs. Yeah. What happened to Cosmo, and why didn't he come after them? So earlier in the movie, Cosmo is purported to be such a dangerous and bad person to be on the wrong side of that the uh, Eastern European uh, consulate that was friends with uh, w- with Martin couldn't even bring himself to name who it was. Like, he right. was that scared of him. Yeah. Then they take the box from Cosmo. He realizes he has the wrong box and yells, no, as Martin is still climbing down a ladder to get into a truck to get away. And they drive away. And then that's the end of Martin's story. So Martin, who has this, like, immense amount of wealth and this network of people who could come beat the shit out of Martin at any point and drop him off in San Francisco somewhere, he just gives up? I think we're to believe that, like, Martin also tells, I 
I think they the uh, NSA or James Earl Jones' character figures out that it's it's Playtronics or Playtonics or whatever the hell the toy company is, and they they go in and they they arrest him. Oh, okay. Or yeah, or I mean, Poitier that's, that's uses just, one of his contacts. It's just shorthand. Yeah, it's. But one it's thing that never I, mentioned. One thing that I need to talk to you about, and this is very, <laughs> this is something that. I think you'll appreciate the actor who plays the quote unquote FBI agent um, when they pull over uh, Sweeney Todd and him. Mm -hmm. um, his name is James Craven. And look he looks at, very familiar. Look at his IMDb. I just sent you the IMDb page. Look at what he's holding in his his headshot for his IMDb page. <laughs> he, he's holding a bag of caramel corn. <laughs> Cannabis infused caramel corn. Yeah, cannabis infused caramel corn to his face for his headshot. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, I wonder why you only have so many credits. <laughs> it, it just reminds me of like in Taxi when Tony Danza's character wants to become a serious actor and there's photos of him, you know, sticking his tongue out and like eating cheese. <laughs> <laughs> why can't I get rolls? I also yeah, uh, to be fair, that is a recent photo, so uh, I, I think he understands that the ship has sailed at this point, and he just well, you know he's comfortable letting letting him be him. Well, also, if if Martin just asked for um, immunity or or you know sanctuary, they wouldn't want to give away that they're not you know FBI agents, so they would just have to let him go. He's literally responsible by getting out of the the car and being pat down by the quote unquote fake FBI agent. He's responsible for the death of of Sweeney Todd actor Lynn Carew. Yeah, yeah, he sure is. Yeah, because if, if he just said, "I I want you know immunity or I want sanctuary," then they would be like, "Okay, bye." <laughs> and just drive that's me making a driving away noise <laughs> yeah and that would have been that <laughs> floor it ba -da -da -da, da -da -da. also i have to say that um the fact that this movie watching this movie made me remember because i'm like who has been nominated for an oscar the fact that i remember that dan Aykroyd had been nominated for an oscar was so shocking to me for what you didn't know Dan Aykroyd was nominated for an Oscar for Driving Miss no. Daisy. Oh, okay, okay. Because he played Bully. I've never seen that film. Well, it's, it's one that I think I'm comfortable not seeing at this juncture in my life. But it's a movie. Yeah, exactly. But ugh. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was nominated for an Oscar for Driving Miss Daisy, and and everyone. Everyone, including River Phoenix, was nominated for an Oscar. So this movie must have been so expensive to make. Right? It, it wasn't that all that expensive from what I saw. It turned a profit, uh, for sure. Yeah, but the budget, th 20, $23 million. Okay, so at this point in like the late 80s, early 90s, to make it, if people are nominated or have won Oscars... So it's not like now where if you win an Oscar, your your new rate is like $20 million. So each person was probably worth $2 million. To I mean, that's that's 
putting a lot out there considering how much location shooting they were doing in San Francisco where they would have to shut down activity in huge tourist areas. Yeah. And that's what stinks the most, that they had to hand out all the sourdough bread to these people <laughs> who are just watching them fil film this movie. Also, in this movie, they do one of my favorite things that, that you know, the um, hero driving his car when he needs to get answers, he literally turns the wheel and drives into the middle of traffic yep. in the opposite. <laughs> and, like, you could tell that that they're like, okay, Bob, are you sure? Bob Redford, <laughs> Robert Redford, are you sure that you want to do your own stunt driving? He's like, yeah, I can do it, no problem. If you look, he literally almost hits a car, and I don't think that it's like staged to to look like that. I think Redford almost literally hit a car. Well, yeah, it wasn't a stunt person because you see from inside the car, right? And on the wide shot, you see Redford and Poitier driving. And like the look on Poitier's face is like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Poitier in general in this gave such a physical performance. I was not expecting that out of him, especially because he was he was older when he was doing this. So he was in his 60s. Yeah. It, I, I just imagine like uh, Phil Alden Robinson's like, why don't you, you know, tone it down a bit? You know, you're, you're at like an 11... This is a, a shitty, you know, comedy. You you can go down to five. And he's like, I only go up to 11. Thank you very much. <laughs> you say five. I hear 12. <laughs> like, I'm still trying to figure out Sidney Poitier's accent. Like, he does that, like, like. Yeah, his his accent was tough to place. I I mean, is that his actual accent? That's his real life voice. That's how he talks. Like, he he, it's like elocution le lessons like he had he has like perfect diction and like he talks like he's got a transcontinental accent i mean he yeah he was born in the states yeah he has uh he has bahamian um citizenship as well but it's it's a dual citizenship yeah but uh, he he's always had perfect diction that's what that's one mm -hmm. thing that I, i've always heard about sydney poirier um also, I just love how he is clearly the most responsible person in this movie, and he doesn't do anything to be responsible. Like, <laughs> like he's the one who should have the best judgment, but he falls for everything. Yeah, well, I, I think within the course of this movie, uh, all of the characters are shown to be gullible repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, especially Martin, who, who is on the run because, you know, he's... For the last what thirty five years, he's had a different last name. He's he's had a fake last name because yeah. yeah. Also, why would you keep Martin as your first name, like Mark or Marcus or like you know if you're gonna go with Bishop, go with a different first name too. Like yeah, I I definitely get that. That's it. May, I can't think of a good example of that. Kindergarten cop. Isn't that what the mother did in that? She kept the same first name, but changed the last name. Right. And they're like shocked when, when they find them again. Like, how did you find us? Even though we had the same first name, I didn't dye my hair. <laughs> and I only live 60 miles away. Because <laughs> we're to believe that he did this. So the, the stuff that happened before he did in like Colorado. It's, I don't think it was made clear. They might've shown like a college name. Uh, it's supposed in, to be somewhere with lots shots. of snow. 
Yeah, it's definitely somewhere with lots of snow because there's basically a blizzard happening as as all of this goes down at the beginning. I think it's and supposed to be the uh, University of Colorado. Did you happen to know, look at the Wikipedia page for this? Yeah. Did you see in the plot section where somehow it um, deduced the ages of both Martin and Cosmo in college? No. Yeah, it, uh, it says Martin Bryce, 27, and Cosmo, 24. Dot, dot, dot. Well, like, are they I doing the- I don't think there's any evidence to support the ages at all. No, it's just supposed to be that, that you know, Cosmo goes along with it. He's like, are we going to get in trouble? And Martin goes, no, and he believes him. That's why they do the age They could gap. be the same age. Cosmo could be older. Like, it's completely useless. Yeah. Also, why would you cast Ben Kingsley in this role? It doesn't make sense. No, not in any way, shape, or form. And Ben yeah, Kingsley, Kingsley has like, age yeah. wise is is uh, I guess he's in the same same ballpark. But yeah, I just he is not. I I don't see Kingsley and think, oh, computer guy. <laughs> yeah, like like he's he's got that he's got that nineties you know tiny ponytail thing going on for him yeah but that's basically it like if they had gone with a lesser name like not to bring back kindergarten cop but the guy who played crisp in that i think would have been pretty good or i was thinking in um uh karate kid part three uh uh what's his name um thomas oh my god uh the guy the guy who played terry silver Jesus Christ, why can't I remember his name? Because um, he's going to come back for season four of Cobra Kai. Thomas Ian Griffith? Thomas Ian Griffith. I almost yeah. said Thomas Ian Nicholas, but I know that that's the kid who played Henry Rowan Gardner. <laughs> um, no, like like s- someone like that. Even Oh, no, 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 who I would have loved to have seen in that role? Steven Seagal. <laughs> Yeah. No, Rebhorn. James Rebhorn. Oh, of course, James Rebhorn. Um, or like pull a Dave and, and get Frank Langella. <laughs> like if you want someone or a who Masters you be- of the Universe and get Frank Langella. <laughs> no, get Dolph Lundgren. Um, but but you know, if you want someone who kind of looks like a tech person, why didn't they get Kevin Klein? Yeah, he could have worked too. I mean, at that point though, or if yeah, you want, he probably would have been on par budget-wise with uh, Kingsley because Kingsley probably had more acclaim, but I think Klein had more star power. Right. Well, Kingsley had the Oscar for Gandhi, but Klein had the Oscar for A Fish Called Wanda, which was like three years before this movie, three or four. Yeah, true. So, like, you know, someone who also, when he's trying to do comedy, when when Kingsley is trying to be funny. He's not like it's more very uncomfortable. And also the reason why they didn't cast James Rebhorn is because he was too busy filming blank check. <laughs> Would that be have been around the same time? I think it was like 93 or 94, but <laughs> it, it was 94. Actually, I'm looking at his uh his his IMDb right now. And between 91 and 95, he was in no fewer than 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 films. Jesus Christ. So I think he could have penciled in a couple days. <laughs> <laughs> rest, in, rest in peace, James Rapporn. Um, 
<laughs> no, nah, he's arresting power, man. <laughs> With a career like that. <laughs> but but still, like, or Willem Dafoe, so, someone who like is is scary or funny. Like, you need one. <laughs> Imagine putting out that casting call. We need someone who looks like a, a young Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Call it, JH. Do we have anyone out there that matches that description? Hi, my name is Michael Shannon. <laughs> Michael Shannon was yeah, doing Groundhog Day at this time. Yeah, so. I was going to say he was too busy doing Groundhog Day. <laughs> but, like, like you, you just need someone either really scary or really funny. Oh, get get somewhere in the middle. Get Malkovich. <laughs> Malkovich would have been very good. Yeah, would have actually been he would have been great for that. Yeah, Malkovich well, can bring a little humor to it as well. Right, that's why I said someone someone who can do both, Malkovich. Yeah, like yeah, because at this point, in addition to being an Oscar nominated actor, Malkovich was also in Annie Lennox music videos at this point. <laughs> so so we know he has got a sense of humor, um, <laughs> but. The one person we haven't really talked about is Mary McDonald. Like, I feel is she's so... fine in this, but well, the character of Liz, I should say, like the character of Liz is so un- underwritten. Yeah, she doesn't have anything to do. Is where I was going to go with that. She's she's fine in this, but it's it's not like a role where there's a lot for her to really like chew on or, or really do. She is just kind of there to be the female part of this equation. Also, I feel like if they made this movie today, they would they would cast more female roles. I yeah, I think I think so, and I think that she uh, the role of Liz would have had a more substantial part of this. Yeah, exactly, and also I feel like Carl would would have been Carla. They would have casted an, a young actress like maybe Beanie Feldstein or or you know Caitlin Deaver. Someone who's good at being awkward, or yeah, or if you if you are a fan of Bill and Ted Face the Music like uh, Chris and I are, you know Bridget Lund- Brigitte Lundy Payne or Samara Weaving. Samara Weaving, I think, is is too conventionally attractive. I think you'd need someone that's a little bit more, um, like. I don't know. She she seems like a little bit more like Hollywood attractive. I think you need a more like everyday attractive person to to fill that. Like Beanie. Yeah. Kate, yeah. Kate, that's that's Caitlin Deaver. Fine. Yeah. And and Whistler would definitely be, uh, you know, Aquafina. <laughs> I think Whistler would actually be a blind actor. I think that in this day and age, I think we're at the point where we should probably have people who are, you know. Uh, suffering from an affliction such as that, uh, yeah. actually performing these roles. Yeah, you're a- you're absolutely right. That's true. Um, and what SNL person will we get to be mother? Oh man, Kyle Mooney. Oh, that would be pretty good. Uh, Kyle Mooney definitely would be in my top three picks. Kyle Mooney, maybe Hater. Hater, you got it. You got it with that. It's hater. Yeah, yeah. Because hater, especially think, the conspiracy theories. Yeah, because I think hater is kind of a little towards that in real life, right? Yeah, and and they would definitely go with like Viola Davis as as uh, Sydney Poitier's character, 
I would be 100% down for that. I love Viola Davis. Viola Davis or Octavia Spencer. Yeah. But who would be... But who is Redford? And they just get Robert Redford. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, they, they would just do Brad Pitt. Or Clooney. Or Clooney. Yeah, either would work. Um, and failing that, if neither of them wanted to do it. Uh, Affleck? No, I, honestly, actually, I think they would get Chris Pine. Yeah, yeah, he he actually would be pretty good because he's one of those people that's probably a little older than you might suspect. So I think he might actually work in that role. Yeah, because Chris Pine is actually like forty five in real life. People don't know yeah, that. Yeah, not not that he's old, but like I think he's one of those people that is usually put into roles where he's playing someone that's probably like in their mid thirties. Yeah, and then that way you can cast uh, Pedro Pascal as Cosmo because we know they got chemistry. <laughs> Oh, who would who would be Liz? We would say that they fleshed out the character, but who would play Liz? So I think you'd need to know how they're fleshing out the character. And my suggestion for that is that she's not only an ex-girlfriend of Martin's, but she's a former member of the team that actually yeah. provided something that they need. Yeah. Um, hmm. Oh, you know who I want to go with on this one? Who? And I cannot think of her name for the life of me because I am a moron. So let me look it up. Uh, Rosalind Pike. Rossman Pike? Rossman Ross Pike, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that casting. I would also... I, I'm trying to think of someone who... Because she's around Pine's age, so she would be good. Um, I don't know why this popped into my head, but like... I like the idea of casting um, Rosario Dawson. Yeah, no, she'd be pretty good too. Yeah, good old Ro. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, I got I picked we, Rosario Dawson. You picked Rossman Pike, the Ro Rose. <laughs> but Ro Pie and Roda. Yeah. But but like this is a movie that could get made today, and I wouldn't mind seeing a reboot or a remake. Yeah, because this is a movie where I think uh, enough of it is about the characters and the actors playing them as it is the story itself. So if you get a new crop of fresh blood in there, they're they're going to make it a different story that's a little bit more of their own. It's not going to be like a carbon copy uh, rehash or, or worse, just like a reboot that doesn't give a shit about the original. Yeah. Also, the one thing we didn't talk about that I have in my notes and have it underlined is why is River Phoenix wearing... Uh, OR scrubs. <laughs> when was he doing that? At the beginning of the movie, when he when he walks in, there's one point where he's just wearing green scrubs. I I did not notice that. Uh, I I have no idea. <laughs> the, I I just feel like one day he just was late, walked on set from another movie, and he's like, "Sorry, didn't have time to change." And Phil Alden Robinson's like, "It's fine. It's fine." Oh, I thought of someone who could have played Carl <laughs> at this point in the 90s who would have been a really good job, who is handsome, but, you know, also at this time period, he was kind of awkward. Brendan Fraser. It was before he was really famous with Encino Man. Yeah. Brendan Fraser yeah. at this point would I, have... The only thing I don't like about him is he kind of arrived as a hunk. So, like, I, I don't know. You could have, like, made him awkward, but I, I think he's a little too attractive to to, to to, sort of be the role that we're talking about what Carl should be. 
Um, respectfully disagree because we're trying Last to make th- these people ugly for fuck's sake. We need to make <laughs> two of these characters real ugly. <laughs> well, I don't want to be mean, but Ackroyd kind of has that covered. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Ackroyd would not be in this version, but no, I'm ta- I'm talking about oh of that time period of that time of that period. time period because we were trying to think of people who would have been you know better than river phoenix at being the you know not realizing that you know you're awkward and uncomfortable when you're because river phoenix is a freaking dreamboat and in this movie he's incredibly handsome so so like at this yeah. point it would have been it would have been brendan fraser's first movie because like encino man came out in 93 right uh 92 i think but yeah yeah, yeah. So this probably would have came out first because this came out in February mm-hmm. of ninety two. So this this would have come out first, and then like no, this came out on September eleventh. Seriously? Yeah. Why do I remember this coming out like earlier in the year? Damn you, sneakers! <laughs> For being so sneaky, always sneaking, always sneaking. Uh, yeah, they probably would have got oh, ninety two. Frank Wally. Who? From Career Opportunities and Swimming with Sharks. How is that last name spelled? Uh, oh, Frank Whaley. It's spelled like whale with a Y at the end. I need to see this person. You'll know okay, who it always, is. As- always a good sign when you get to that Wikipedia page and there's a lot of credits but no picture. <laughs> Did you ever see Career Opportunities with Jennifer no. Connelly? No. Uh, well, if you didn't see Swimming with Sharks, he was on I'm, the I'm on fir- his... he was on the first season of Jessica Jones. Didn't see it. But he... yeah, no, I'm seeing younger pictures of him, and he is he is spot on. Yeah, because I think he's hitting what we're oh Little Monsters. He was in Little Monsters. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, no, I, I think he is a lot more similar to what we were talking about. But he just doesn't have the name power is the issue. Yeah, yeah, because they were clearly going for ensemble cast here, and he wouldn't have right. counted as that. <laughs> so so is there anything we missed that you wanted to talk about? Uh, the only other note I had is that's not how synthesizers work. Yeah. Um, for the well, scene where they were trying to figure out where Martin had been kidnapped and taken to in a trunk of a car... Uh, Whistler starts asking him to describe how it sounded, which is actually, I thought, a pretty good plot point or a pretty good way of figuring that out. But Whistler sits over at a synthesizer, and the most egregious thing I could think of was when you play keys on a keyboard, uh, for anyone who is not aware of that, they produce notes. So those are the white and the black keys that are that are sitting in front of you. What he did was he started leaning in front of it and like was holding a knob next to the power button, and as he turned that, the pitch went up and down for his for his note that he was holding. And that's not how that works. You have to hit different keys to make that happen, and it just it made me really annoyed. Yeah, that's all I got. That that scene was weird. It, and yes, it, it, I I know that there are pitch bend knobs and everything like that. He wasn't hitting one of those. He was hitting like a preset knob, and that's <laughs> it was really bothering me. So so how many bagels? Whew. So this was an enjoyable movie. I will probably watch it again. I'm going to say nine and a half. Yeah, I'm giving this ten. So like, the, it's in that area. It's fun. It's a fun movie. 
it's fun. It's far from perfect. It's a little too long, but uh, it is fun at the end of the day. So yeah, I could see myself definitely watching this again at some point, just thinking, oh man, sneakers, that, that'd be fun. That'd go down <laughs> real smooth right now. Get together with my old pal, uh, you know, Stephen Tobbs <laughs> and Timothy Busfield, like uh, all the greats. Good old Busfield. I mean, yeah, handsome man. Also, this was the time where he played like corrupt uh, officials because, like, a few years later, he'll do First Kid, where he plays a former Secret Service agent who tries shooting a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah, and just a few years earlier, he was responsible for causing his niece to get a hot dog lodged in her throat in Field oh, of yeah. Dreams. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, is there anything you want to promote? Uh, nah, nothing really going on. I, I do another show called uh, Old Men Yell at Cloud that you can check out on the Zero Science Podcast Network. Uh, Scott and I have another show that's in the works at some point uh, that will be happening there as we're well. We're probably going to talk can... about after we, we're done recording this episode. <laughs> probably. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then we have also done a mini series called Where in the World is Stephen Quincy Urkel? And you can find that there as well. Um. So, Chris, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. This is a fun movie. Yeah, and Chris will be back in June for my birthday month, like always. Um, oh, will so I? N- <laughs> yeah, I already told you what you're doing. This is news to me. Do we? There's an entire text conversation. Anyways, until next time, <laughs> I'm Scott Curlin. Bye. Bye.